following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. Donald Gray Barnhouse was a pastor, theologian, radio host um, to the, the, the mid-1900s in, in Philadelphia. Um, but his first wife died of cancer uh, when his children were still fairly young. In fact, the oldest of their four children at the time was 11 years old. And so the family went to the funeral, and Barnhouse was driving his family home, and he saw the, just the sadness and the emptiness in his children's faces as he looked in the back seat. And so as he was driving, he said to his children, he said, hey, kids, would you rather be run over by a truck or the shadow of a truck? And his 11-year-old answered, well, shadow, of course. And Barnhouse responded, well, that's what has happened to your mother. Only the shadow of death has passed over her. Death itself ran over Jesus. Can we talk last week about how death helps us to, to sharpen our focus, to shape our purpose, and to deepen our joy. But we know and we admit that while that is true, death is also difficult. Death is heartbreaking. And death is painful. So, how do we live in the tension between those two truths? How do we live in that tension between the fact that death hurts and we don't like it, and yet God works through it? How can you and I embrace the trial of death in a biblically meaningful and purposeful way? Today, we're going to look at, at, at three aspects of our lives. Three truths, three realities that will help us to embrace death purposefully. If we can remember these things in the midst of the trial, I'm not saying it makes all the hurt go away. It all of a sudden makes death easy and comfortable. But these three truths help us to embrace the purposeful biblical nature of death in the midst of life on this earth. And the first is this, if we are going to embrace death purposefully first, we accept our mortality. We accept our mortality. Genesis chapter three, verses 17 through 19. It says, and, and, and he, he being God, and God said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. In these verses, we get 
the instruction, the curse, the reality that, that death has entered the picture and that death enters the picture for every one of us. All right, verse 17, what's God say? He says, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you do not eat from it. Now, first off, hold on, stop. Husbands, this is not a call not to listen to your wife. That is a bad, bad idea, and it's terrible theology. But what God is saying here is he says, because you listened to your wife over me, right? That's what he's saying. He said, you ignored my commands and instead did what your wife wanted you to do. So husbands, this is not a call not to listen to our wives, but it is a call to put God first, even in our marriages. God goes first before your wife. Okay, so God says, because you did this thing, because you elevated someone over me, which is called what? Idolatry, sin. God says, because you sinned, what's gonna happen? And verse 18 says that, that um, Adam's work would now be difficult. Now your work will be hard. You'll lead by the sweat of your brow. Labor will be painful. This is a problem for Adam. And guess what? It's a problem for every single one of us, right? If you've ever worked on anything ever in your entire life, <laughs> you know that it is difficult. It requires effort and hard work, sacrifice. But not only that, because verse 19 says, not only will your work be difficult, but because sin has infected your life, your life will now end. God says, you came from dust, you will return to dust. All right, read that again. Read verse 19 again in your Bible. Go ahead and look at it. Just read it to yourself. And someone tell me, after you've read that, where the wiggle room is. Where does God say probably? Where does God say most likely? He, he doesn't. He says, you came from dust, you will return to dust. You will die. And as a result, you and I, unless Christ returns first, you and I will die. Look at the person to your right. Everybody loves audience participation. Look at the person to your right. Look at the person to your left. They're going to die too. It's a guarantee. Here's the thing. You and I will never have a healthy concept of or relationship with death if we pretend that it won't happen to us. If we live our lives thinking, well, I'm not going to die. My kids aren't going to die. My parents aren't going to die. My friends aren't going to die. My spouse won't die. We will never have a healthy relationship with death. We must accept the fact that we and everyone we love will die 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, the first half of verse 22. We're going to get to the whole verse later, but right now, just think of the first half where it says, in Adam, all die. Now, in Adam means because Adam sinned and the sin nature transfers down through every single one of us, right? We are in Adam. In Adam, who dies? All die. It is a reality 
that we all must face. Anybody uncomfortable yet? Okay. We will all die. Uh, 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 Joe Bailey, who was a, a journalist um, who lost three of his seven children before the, they were at the age of 18, wrote a book called A View from a Hearse about death and dealing with the death of his three children. And in the book, he says this. He says, everything changes. Death is changeless. And then later he says, death can only be postponed. Now here's the thing. We say these things, all the things I've just said to you. And some people will be like, that's really morbid. I'm gonna die, you're gonna die, we're all gonna die, everybody's gonna die. That's super morbid. It's not. It is a true reality of the human existence that we must accept. Now, the circumstances of any particular death may be surprising, may be unexpected, may be tragic. Many of you have suffered those kinds of losses in your life where you didn't see this coming and it brought so much pain and anguish that it took you years to get over. Maybe you're still not over it because of that particular situation and that particular loss at that particular time in that particular place. Yes, the particulars of loss can be surprising, tragic, unexpected. But death itself is none of those things. Death itself is none of those things. And it is only if we accept that fact that we have a foundation for a healthy perspective on death. And in fact, if you come to this place where you're okay with the fact that death is normal, death is just a part of life in this world, that death is coming, that death will happen to you and to everyone you love, then you have the opportunity to take care of others even in your own death. Now, when we accept the reality and, and, and the fact that death itself can never be stopped, only postponed, then we put ourselves in a place where we can have conversations about our own deaths, where we can plan our own funerals so that our Families don't have to struggle through figuring out what that will look like. Because we can understand that since it is just a normal part of life, then we can plan for death. Again, for some, they're like, yeah, you're going, this is super morbid. I can't believe I'm sitting here in church and we're talking this much about the fact that we're all going to die. But this is an important reminder for us. This is the foundation and so the question you and I have to ask ourselves here today is this, is death an astonishing and terrifying anomaly, right? Do we see death as an anomaly? It's not normal. It's not ordinary. It's never going to happen to me. Or do we see it as a normal part of the life that we have on this planet? See, when we accept the nature of our mortality, we are freed to then take the next step in which we consider our eternity. We consider our eternity. We find this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. 
Jesus in the, in the Sermon on the Mount teaches, and he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, what Jesus is talking about here in these verses is he's talking about rejecting treasures of earth, rejecting possessions, rejecting the things that we can see and touch and feel as the central desire and the central focus of our hearts, as the things that we pursue with all that we have and all that we are. He's reminding his followers that what is worthwhile, true treasure, has nothing to do with this earth. True treasure is not of this world. And the reason for this is that our hearts, yours, mine, every single one of us, in our hearts, we yearn for things this world cannot offer. Every single human heart yearns for things this world cannot offer. That is why when you talk to the most successful uh, people in the world, they're never satisfied. They've gotten everything that we think, yeah, if I just made this much money, if I just had this house, if I just had this car, if I was just this successful, right? Then I'd be happy, right? I'd be satisfied. And every time you get there, you're like, ah, it didn't do it. It's because our hearts yearn for something that is not of this earth, I've shared this with you many times and I'll share it with you many more times, I'm certain. Right? But one of the great C.S. Lewis quotes, and C.S. Lewis wrote, if I find in myself joys that cannot be fulfilled in this world, the only explanation is that I was made for a different world. How right he is. See, we were not made to find our ultimate satisfaction in the human flesh or in the possessions of this world. We were made to find it in the eternal communion with our eternal God in his eternal kingdom. And if we cannot embrace the, the reality and the ultimate purpose of death, because we can't imagine being out of this world, we can't imagine the end of this life. I love this life. I like the things I have. I like the people I get to live with. I like the way I get to do life on this planet. That's great. Right? But if that keeps us from accepting the, 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 the purpose and the reality of death, then we've missed the point. Because what we're doing there, whether we admit it or not, and whether we even know we're doing this or not, when we can't accept the reality of death because we love this life so much, we belittle the glory of God's eternal treasures by putting more value in this life than in his eternity. See, many think of death and consider death and it's only the end of life on earth. Right? Death is the end, right? That's the end of life. And it is that, True. Sure, it's the end of this earthly life, but it is also the gateway to eternity and the presence of our good, holy, and perfect God. That should remind us that, that while we have happiness in this life, we get, to, we get celebrations, we have joy, we have toil and 
struggle as well. And while we have all those things, that's great, but our eternity on the other side of life in this world, our eternity with our good, holy, perfect, heavenly Father is one that is free of all sorrow, all toil, all struggle, all pain, and is full of more joy and more peace and more celebration than you can possibly even begin to imagine. It's not just about the death of the end of life on this earth. It is the transition, the gateway, the doorway into the eternal presence of our God. Well, how do we, how do we live that out, right? Because you go, okay, I got to consider my eternity. I don't even know what eternity is. Like I try to think of eternity and my mind wants to just explode. All right, so how do I, how do I live in a way that I'm considering my eternity? Okay, the answer it, 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 it's really simple. It's maybe not the easiest thing in the world, but it's super simple. And it's this. You want to live in a way that considers your eternity? Be relentlessly hope-filled. Be relentlessly hope-filled. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. says, Rejoice always, Pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Okay, now chapter five gives a lot of different instructions, but I love this, this grouping of three verses and how they work together, right? Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Three words to pick out of that. Always, constantly, in everything. Always, Constantly in everything. You know, every one of those words says, it says without exception. Without exception. We are to rejoice, we are to pray, we are to give thanks. We are to live with hope. Even in the struggles and the heartbreak of this life. Now again, there's a time for us to to hurt and there's a time for grief. Grief and loss in death are a good and a healthy thing. Grief and the loss of death is a good and healthy thing. Read Ecclesiastes chapter 3. But as as Tim Keller wrote, unless you salt your grief with hope, your grief will go bad. Right, grief is a good thing. Grieve in loss. Walk through that. Acknowledge the hurt and the brokenness of your heart. That grief is a good thing. But unless that grief is salted with hope, it will go bad. Isaiah writes about this in Isaiah chapter 57, verse 1 and 2. He says, The righteous person perishes, and no one takes it to heart. The faithful are taken away with no one realizing that the righteous person is taken away because of evil. He will enter into peace. They will rest in their beds. Everyone who lives uprightly. Okay, Isaiah says, listen, the the good, the righteous, the people who who follow God, they're going to die too. And those who don't have a, a vision for eternity, those whose focus is simply this world, they will miss what happened to that person. 
But even in death, there is hope for the one who trusts in the Lord. There is hope. And this makes no sense to a world that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Because death, for the, even for the faithful, may seem disorienting. But the righteous know that because Jesus died, we enjoy not death, but we enjoy the fruits of death. Because our true treasures are not found in this life. Yes, we have some good days on earth, and I hope you have way more good days on earth than you have bad. But true treasure is rooted in eternity in the presence of a holy, loving, and sovereign God. Listen, do we think of our struggles and our joys only in relation to this life? Only in relation to the the numbered days that we have on this earth? We accept our mortality and we consider our eternity. Finally, if we want to have a healthy relationship and understanding of death, then number three, we celebrate our resurrection. We celebrate our resurrection. First Peter chapter one, verse three through five. He begins the body of of his letter here. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time goes on in verse 6. It says, you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. We celebrate our resurrection. Peter begins this letter, and and, and we we studied through this letter a couple years ago, and remember, it's written to the church that is dispersed, the church that is being persecuted, church that is being scattered. They're under attack. They don't know what the future holds. And Peter begins his letter to these believers who are suffering and struggling and hurting and facing death for their faith. And how's he open? He says, rejoice in the resurrection that you have in Jesus Christ. It's this hope through Jesus Christ. And how is it that he says that this church and that you and I are brought into that resurrection How were we brought into that resurrection with Jesus Christ? By our good nature? By our kind hearts? By our intellectual superiority? By our financial wisdom? By our generosity? By our superior spirituality? No, none of those things. We are brought into the resurrection of Jesus Christ by God's great, rich, and eternal mercy. Our hope is not in us being better or the world getting less difficult. Our hope is in the Lord because our victory over death is secured in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We go back to 1 Corinthians 15, 22, and I told you earlier that that verse starts out with, as in Adam, all die. Let's look at the whole verse. 
It says, just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. It is in Christ and it is only in Christ that we are resurrected. This is not a lifeless theological concept for us to know. This is our living hope. This is our living hope that in Jesus Christ, we have resurrection and eternal life. If that sounds foreign to you, if you struggle to grasp that, here's your help for this week. Spend the entire week, every day, reading 1 Corinthians 15. Read it three, four, five times a day, every day this week, and let the truth of that sink in. The reality of the life that is in Jesus Christ. Because at the end of the day, we have one great joy and one great victory to celebrate. And that has nothing to do with us living longer or having more influence on this earth or never suffering at the hands of a broken world or never facing death. In fact, our great victory that we get to rejoice in and celebrate requires us to confront death head on. And that's because without death, there is no resurrection. Without death, there is no resurrection because if there's no death, what are you resurrected from? Death was necessary because you and I are broken, flawed, and sinful people. You read the rest of Genesis 3 and see how that plays out. And then read the whole rest of the Bible. We're broken, fallen, flawed people. When compared to a holy, perfect God, we deserve nothing but death. And Jesus' death was necessary to provide the payment for our sins. The payment that you and I, because we are broken, fallen, flawed people, we can never pay that back. We can never offer the perfect life that is necessary to be redeemed. So Jesus came and offered his perfect life in our place. Colossians chapter two, verse 13 through 15 says, and when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them. By Jesus' death, he defeats the sin that condemns us to an eternity separated from the Father. And in his resurrection, he guarantees our resurrection and life and eternity with the Father. See, so our deaths, our physical deaths, join us into Jesus' victory by our physical death so that we might be raised alongside Christ's resurrection into eternal life. Another author, Walter Wengren, said, uh, if death is not a daily reality, then Christ's triumph over death is neither daily 
nor real. If death is not a daily reality, then Christ's triumph over death is neither daily nor real. And so the question comes down then to, to, to simply this, right? Who is the victor in our lives? We accept our mortality. We consider our eternity. Now, who is the victor in our lives? Are we? Are we the victor? We've done enough. We've done good things. We've been better. We're smarter. We're stronger. We're nicer, more kind-hearted more generous. Are we the victor? We've made ourselves acceptable to God. Are we the victor? Or is it Jesus Christ? Do we live with that daily understanding that God has no reason to love us and no reason to accept us because of who we are? And after giving his children, the Israelites, more opportunities than seems reasonable to us, showing us how they fail time and time again. He said, because you can't be the victor in your life, I'm going to send my son to live perfectly, die sacrificially, and rise victoriously to deliver you completely in a way that you could never earn and never deserve if you live for all of eternity. Who is the victor? We remember, as, as Barnhouse said, death itself ran over Jesus. That also reminds us that even when death ran over Jesus, Jesus was still victorious. If your faith and your trust are in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you have no need to fear death, to avoid death, to try to put it out of your your mind to distance yourself from it as best you can. You have no reason to fear death and its consequences. Now, if you've not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, there's nothing that should, fear, that should strike more fear in your heart than physical death. Do we allow death to loom over us? As children of the most high God, do we allow death to loom over us? Or do we instead celebrate the certainty of our resurrection? Once again, let me reiterate, I know that death in this life is a painful reality. I know that it brings heartbreak and it brings gut-wrenching pain. And I pray that over last week and this week, you don't mishear me and think that I'm saying that we should all be just bubbly, happy people all the time who tough it out with a smile. No, some of you have been through and are going through incredible suffering at the hands of death in this world. You've seen parents, siblings, Spouses, children, and dearly loved friends pass away and pass through death. And it still carries heartache in your memory. 
Death is hard. We don't deny that. However, we also remember that the reason death is hard is, it because, is because it carries a powerful weight over the physical body. And we also remember that we, as those who confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, are not merely physical bodies. Yes, we live here for a short time. An inconceivably short time in light of eternity. But these bodies are merely seeds. And the seed has to die so the tree can grow. Because of Jesus' victory over death, death itself has no power over you and me. And so we have nothing to fear, nothing to be uncomfortable about, nothing to avoid confronting. We can purposefully embrace death when we accept our mortality, when we consider our eternity, and when we are celebrating our resurrection in Jesus Christ. Church family, we will suffer at the hands of death in this earthly life. But that suffering has nothing, nothing on the eternity that God has set before us. May we live boldly with the joy of Christ by the power of his death and his resurrection under the seal of the Holy Spirit as God's promise of our eternity. And in doing so, let our joy and grief alike point a world that lives in fear of death back to the power and the authority of the one who has conquered death, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, we, we've confronted heavy truth today. Death is not a, a fun topic. And when we walk through those, those trials and those struggles and those heartache and that pain of death, oftentimes the, the furthest, furthest thing from our, our minds is celebration. And we don't claim that in every moment we're going to be celebrating because there's that time for grief. But Father, as we think about the reality that unless Jesus Christ comes back first, every one of us will taste physical death. May your promises of eternal life, of true healing, restoration, the joy of your presence. May they overwhelm any fears, uncertainty, discomfort, or whatever it is that we may have.
Lord, may we, may we just recognize that through every step of this life, you are preparing us for that incredible eternity. And may your sovereignty, the fact that you are reigning and ruling not just over our lives on earth, not just over a distant heavenly realm, that you are the God who is sovereign, reigning and ruling over all things in all places and at all times, the physical, spiritual, everything. And so, Lord, may we celebrate that when you tell us that there is joy and there is hope and there is life in all of eternity, that that might be the the stake that grounds us in our gratitude and our hope and our joy. And Lord, as we have these conversations on death, we pray for your comfort and your peace on those who are thinking about this today and are are overwhelmed with that pain and that loss. May they know your love in deeper and richer ways. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love, for your grace, and for your mercy. And Lord, it is in your great and your awesome name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.